You are listening to Rouge, White and Blue, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. To the Bruce White Blue CFL podcast. My name is Oz Davis, and joining me, as always, is my co-host Joe Pritchard out there, Wisconsin. Joe, how are things going? <sighs> it's finally not a million degrees outside. I'm finally getting some time off of work. Uh, and in a, less than a month, we're going to be talking about actual Canadian football games that have actually happened. So, I would say things are looking pretty good all of a sudden. Are we gonna? Are people in Canada gonna be talking about actually like attending games? I sure hope so. It'd be great to see some pictures. Uh, it'd be great to see some video of some of fans that haven't had a chance to have a lot to t- have a lot to celebrate lately. Have a chance to go do some do things like that. In any case, let's have f- fingers crossed that by the time the Eastern teams are playing in the CFL, that there will be fans in attendance. I suppose the big news of the week was this thing about the CFL, XFL, how it had been blown up into a possible merger, talking about weird schedule ramifications and whatnot. And all of a sudden this week, at least for the time being, uh, it is no more. Among, let's say within the statement released by the CFL, Quote, while we remain open to finding new ways to work together in the future, we and our XFL counterparts have jointly decided to not pursue any formal arrangements at this time. Uh, we at the CFL are now squarely focused on preparing for August 5th and the start of our 2021 regular season. That, that's kind of Bill Achekian, right? That we're just, we're just getting ready for, for week one. What was your reaction to this, Joe? What's your hot take? I was relieved completely and totally relieved that they were just done with the whole idea. Granted, the CFL needs new revenue sources. But if they were to come to, let's go worst case scenario here, full-blown merger, you know, basically just becoming a piece of the XFL, any sort of league that is on U.S. television needs to avoid the NCAA and the NFL, which obviously means you need to be done by Labor Day. Had something like this gone forward, you're wiping out, and we're not even going to talk about the rules. We've talked about that ad nauseum about what our thoughts were on that. But you would be wiping out by making some sort of a merger, Labor Day, um, your normal playoff run, your November Grey Cups just off the board in one fell swoop. And I don't know how the traditional fan base of the CFL would have reacted to that. Probably negatively, which is exactly what couldn't have happened to make this, a, to give this a, the best chance of success it would have had. The, the response to this was overwhelmingly positive, it seemed like, on CFL Twitter and on, on various other media. But I, I, I kind of feel like the, the guy who's being, who is in a cult that is now being deprogrammed. Like, it's the kind of cult where they told you the apocalypse was going to be on this day, 
And then that day came and went and nothing happened. And, and so now I, I'm kind of having a hard time believing that all these talks are over. Well, I mean, if you want to keep being part of the cult, just move the goalpost. Yeah, see, I, I guess it's because we never really knew the substance of these talks. Right. So what was left is for us to wildly, rapidly speculate, which we tried not to go too crazy with. But, um, I mean, when you have nothing else to talk about, what are you going to fill the void with? Well, there there is that element of it. You just wonder what happened in these talks. And, and again, you know, I know I tend to see the dark side of the spectrum on these kind of things. But the underlying issues that the CFL is facing are still there. Oh, Absolutely. They do need to look into figuring out ways to increase the revenue. The question is, how do you do that without destroying what you're trying to build in the first place? That's not a question I've been able to answer in, and I've been really, really focused on the issues for, what, seven, eight years now, where it's become an every week thing for me to watch the league? I've been focused on that since then, since they got involved in the uh, single day, uh, single day fantasy, things like that, where you saw a lot of U.S. fans have attention to it in June and July and forget about it by the end of August. I've been trying to mull over this whole thing. and I haven't come up with a darn thing. So I'm hoping that the people that are in charge have better ideas than I do. But this wasn't it. A nice thing to do, I just wish it were feasible, a nice thing to do would be like a European soccer thing where you have a transfer window. You know, where it's like after week eight of the CFL season when the NFL is just starting, the teams can buy contracts from the CFL teams. I mean, that's a really nice way, especially since there are no other leagues that the NFL could possibly draw from unless this XFL thing possibly goes off. That would literally be the only way to do it. And, you know, you could set those prices really high. Oh, yeah, you want to buy a quarterback? That's, uh, what, $5 million? That's fair. You know, a scrub is $1 I mean, you know, that that would be a way for the CFL to get money like this. Now, you would lose your superstars, you know, so that would kind of suck. But the substance of each team would be the same. So that, well, it's interesting. that would be a way. It, the interesting, it's an interesting thought. I just wonder if that would lead the CFL teams to go try to find guys that don't fit the NFL mold even more so <laughs> than they do now to try, you know, your GMs, your GMs and your player personnel guys are going to start going and looking for the tweeners, the guys like Adam Big Hill that are a little too small to be an NFL linebacker, but a little too slow to be an NFL free safety. But guys that can play, but don't fit exactly what the NFL is looking for. It's a, it's what they do anyway. It's what the CFL teams do anyway. But would they put even more emphasis on that and like even stretch the game? to be even slightly slightly different than it is today, maybe looking for guys with different skill sets all together and start planning their strategy a little bit differently to keep NFL teams from poaching their players mid-season if you're going to do something like that, which would defeat the whole purpose of it to begin with, but it would have definite ramifications on the line. Well, the real consequences could be 
and, and this is something that, again, with the backing of The Rock would be more appealing to these guys, is that the tweeners would go out to the CFL teams because, again, they could show their skills for eight weeks in a real game situation before going out to the NFL. That would be the ideal situation. Plus, you would also get, hopefully, ideally, again, you get more Canadians into the NFL, right? Like maybe a guy like Adam Big Hill would get picked up for the season. You know, I think in order to be fair, in order so that it's not a talent drain, you'd have to work something out in the contract where this guy is not a practice roster guy. <laughs> like he is on the active roster if we if we take his contract. You would never do that in European soccer. You would never just, you know, transfer the guy and then throw him on the on the, you know, reserve roster. You'd never do that. So you would have to like legally prevent that in this situation. But, you know, there's always that. And I would also say this. There's no way you're going to pass on a guy like Alex Singleton in the CFL draft, even if you know you're only going to have him for eight games. You'll draft him. You'll play him. You know, he'll be a stud. And then, yeah, okay, maybe he goes to the Vikings or whatever. But you can take pride in having developed Canadian talent. And you get that two, three million dollars from the NFL for his contract. Whereas you would have gotten nothing now. So again, it's just, it's an off the wall way to do it, but these issues must be addressed. You know, this is the 21st century. I just spent a bunch of time talking to guys from uh, Ireland's professional sports leagues. Those are even crazier because it's totally in country and they're amateur. Now, they have massive TV contracts relative to the country's size, right? Everybody watches their championships and whatnot. But, again, most of their money is coming from the gate. And they're having the same freaking problem. Especially, you know, COVID just accentuated that stuff. Is, okay, let's say you take that gate down to zero. Then what happens? Well, what happens is the vultures start circling. And maybe that's what the XFL wants. It's just a bunch of vultures. Right, so we've had a season uh, we figured we'd get back into the post-COVID shape by going over a preview of the eastern side of the league. But I'd like to get this started with a slightly bigger question. So every year, I think it's, is it CFL Horseman that predicts the Stampeders to go undefeated every year? Yes, it is Ryan from Horseman. Right. I could, does the Empire do that as well? No, no, no. Okay. All right, so it is just the Calgary podcast, right? Okay. And 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 if Ryan were here today, he would be telling you that the reason they don't do it is because they know it will never happen. <laughs> well, that's what I wanted to talk to you about. That's a great segue, actually, because, okay, a short time ago, within the past week or two of recording this, Josh Smith over there at Podski Wee proclaimed proudly that not only will his Tiger Cats go undefeated in 2021, but they'll also be meeting the 6-0 Calgary Stampeders at Tim Hortons in Week 7. Now, what I'm thinking, and I'm sure Josh is thinking along the same lines, with this shorter 14-game season, with the possibility that one or two teams could be much worse than we think, will any team go 14-0, and and will it be the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Joe? I'm going to say no on both fronts, <laughs> but I would be willing to sacrifice the week one game just to see Josh and Ryan go at, at each other's throats 
when they're both undefeated going into week seven. <laughs> okay. Between 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 uh between the the war of world the, the war of words and the war of beards between the two guys, I would I would pay good money to see that. <laughs> okay. So so you actually think that at least it's plausible that those two sides, uh Hamilton and Calgary could start off 6-0. and They could whip off a lot of games this season. Could. Will they? Probably not. Probably but I not. think this year, uh, to be fair, I think this year's going to be off the wall, and I think 500 is going to be like a magnet because of all the insanity. Okay. All right. That's an interesting take. I wasn't quite expecting that, but... Uh... I'll be let, – let's talk the perspective 14-0 Hamilton Tiger Cats here. All right, so a few notes on the offseason. Uh, we have running back Sean Thomas Erlington and DeVryer Posey from Montreal are in. Also in is the number one overall pick, which I believe was Montreal's pick at some point. Number one overall pick, tight end Jake Burt out of Boston College. Now, I'll be keeping an eye on this guy this season because my nephew is with the BC Eagles team right now, and they've been converting him to a tight end in order to compete for this guy's open job in 2021. So shout-outs to both guys there. But back to the Tiger Cats. Let's see. Larry Dean, middle linebacker Larry Dean, uh, left for Saskatchewan. Uh, defensive back Delvin Bro retired. And bad news for the competition, Brandon Banks is still on the team. Uh, last time we saw them, the Ticats went undefeated in Tim Hortons at home in the regular season. They went 15-3 and overall in the regular season, 16-4 and in total. They were the class of the Eastern side, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How much of this – well, you just gave us a, a brief preview there, Joe – uh, I shouldn't say how much of this do you expect to see reproduced in 2021, but what bits of this do you expect to see reproduced? I think of all, all the teams, Hamilton's in the driver's seat right now, hmm. uh, simply because, well, they get they draw Toronto four times, I want to say. Uh, and I think there's going to be a couple of facets this year that are going to be even more important than they usually are. Your ability to bring in talent your ability to assimilate that talent quickly because you've had two off seasons. Now every team's had quite a bit of flux, no matter how stable you try to keep things Two off seasons is going to mess with things from the last time you played. So the ability a to find new talent and especially cheap talent and b the ability to turn that talent around quickly, especially with shortened training camps and the fact that uh, there's not a lot of cohesion going on with anybody and then I think the third thing is to make sure you have something going on at quarterback where Hamilton's got two of them that are both quality starters in the league that we've seen. I think that Hamilton will probably end up finishing with the best record in the league this year. Uh, whether that's 11 and three or 12 and two, uh, pick one, go with it. But I think they're in, they're on, on or near the top of the game on all three of those categories. Okay. All right. All right. Again, you're 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 surprising me here. Um, yeah, I think since the schedule now is very imbalanced towards the east, I think that only helps the Tiger Cats. 
as does the return of Jeremiah Mazzoli. We'll see how much of the season he will be playing this year. Uh, but but yes, I think you may be correct there. I I just wonder. You really have to wonder. Okay, let's let's go on to the next team, the Toronto Argonauts, because this for me is making it hard to think about both the Hamilton and the Montreal seasons. Uh, here are the Toronto Argonauts who ultimately just took the puzzle pieces and shook the box up. Uh, they've done the complete makeover of the roster. By my count, okay, they've lost off their season-ending regular active roster. They lost 39 players between 2029 and today. And they've brought in 23, uh, I don't know how you would say it, extant, let's say, CFL free agents. This does include guys from America and the draft, whatever. Uh, the new starting quarterback is Nick. Arbuckle. They have quite a few new wide receivers. They have new head coach. <clears throat> they have new head coach Ryan Dinwiddie, who was immediately following this quarterback coach for Bo Levy Mitchell and the Stamps for four years. Make of that what you will. And Glenn Young is also aboard, who was a defensive coordinator before in Brockport at a very small college for three years. That was a few years ago. That's a lot of question marks. <laughs> okay, now, you said before that, you know, there's this lack of continuity. Uh, people are going to be making up a lot of stuff on the fly. But, wow, I mean, this is a lot of X's and Y's and Z's, right? What do you make of these articles? Mm-hmm. Yes, and if we've been if we've learned anything from free agency over the past five, six, seven years, is that the team that wins free agency tends to lose in the regular season, and the Argos won free agency two years in a ro- two years running here since they played their last game. Uh, uh, going back to the points I was laying out, quarterbacks. I mean, Nick Arbuckle showed he can play ball but he's a young quarterback and he's going to be surrounded with not only a young head coach but with talent he's not used to uh, i believe they have mcleod bethel thompson back yes uh just recently here so that's not gonna hurt matters it's nice to have a veteran either to take the reins if arbuckle slips or to help get him guided on the right path but i think there's basically starting from scratch and they have what now three weeks before the first week to go hi how are you doing who are you and then get ready to go play their first game yeah it's going to take them a while to get their stuff together and by a while i mean we're it might be 2022 before they have anything resembling cohesion right that's what i was going to say is when when you said that about our brother okay how short of the leash does he have, or, or any new quarterback in the CFL with a viable backup have, and what does that short leash mean? For Arbuckle, it might mean it might be the difference between uh, leaving him out there to just rot or trying to get him off the field before he gets killed. <laughs> and I'm not wow. saying they have a terrible offensive line. I'm not saying that they have they're going to have a bad offensive game plan. I'm just saying they're not going to have a whole lot established to begin with. And if it turns out that it goes south right away, 
they, it, it might be better to let the veteran take take some of the licks instead of uh, exposing Arbuckle for the whole season and just getting and ruining him before he can get started. Yeah, my feeling, <clears throat> my feeling on the Argonauts is that uh, I, I I just don't see it working. Yeah, I think this is going to be a casualty of the COVID protocols or whatever you want to call right. it. Right, they were going to need 2020 and then to to establish what the new regime was going to be all about, and they didn't get it. 18 yeah. games, you know, a preseason would be nice. Yeah, and they're getting none of that. Right. So they're basically starting fresh as of what? Today is the 8th, where the show will probably be out the 9th, 10th, or whatever, and week one is... 28 days away or so that's all you get right. and then their training camp hasn't even officially started yet has it i'm not sure about that to be totally honest i thought it was open but i could be wrong uh we're recording this on july 8th for the record there um okay yeah yeah i just i just think this is a lot of time to staple this together i think that certain things are going to be in play slash not in play with a 14-game season and no preseason and no training camp. Uh, I think a lot of things are going to be up for grabs that wouldn't normally be. But my thing here is, again, I, I just don't think they can assemble this quickly enough. This Such a thing would need more time. All right. Speaking of I don't know if this is going to be assembled, let's talk about the Ottawa Red Blacks. Just a week or two ago, they received about the worst news they could get, namely that Brad Sinopoli retired, seemingly from out of nowhere, at least as far as the outside world is concerned. This was a, this was a surprise. Actually, I wanted to ask you that, Joe. Was this surprising to you, this retirement surprising, or is this 2021 and football players do this all the time? Yes and yes. Uh, <laughs> the specific names? tend to be surprises, but given that it's been almost two years since there's been a CFL game, given that so much has happened in the world since, and players have had to make decisions to financially support themselves and their families, I'm actually slightly surprised that it hasn't been more players. And uh, you mentioned Sinapoli, Alex Mateus, too, is gone. A few other pieces of that offensive line is gone. So uh, going back to the little – going back to the drawing board, so to speak, here, uh, they do have – it's quite – a lot of people have questioned Ottawa's ability to attract talent. Uh, they do have a head coach that I know can put things together – um, and has in the past in in situations that have been ideal and Paul LaPolice. Uh, and he also has a quarterback he knows in Matt Nichols. And if he can keep Nichols upright behind that off, whatever offensive line he can cobble together, I think this team has less talent than Toronto does overall. But I think they could win a game or two more than Toronto simply on the basis that the coach and the quarterback know what each know how to speak each other's language. Hmm. Huh. Again, interesting take. I mean, that police hasn't been a head coach since 2012. And I almost feel like if, even to more greater extent than the Alouettes, who we'll talk about it in a moment, um, they're really putting a lot on the coach. To work some miracles here 
um, what, I mean, okay, so, so you think, I mean, because this season, this team, I'm sorry, this team was terrible last season, right? They closed one in 15, or they had no offense, they had notoriously one of, literally one of the lowest scoring offenses maybe in this century, um, basically looked like the expansion team that they never were, right? <laughs> that time that they were cheated out of, uh, they got last year and maybe this year. But you think that he's going to take an expansion team and give, get them up to what? Five wins? Four, Four or five wins is theoretically possible. Wow. Wow. I don't okay. think much wow. more That's... than that. But mm-hmm. I think that they're going to be – they're going to come to – they have a better chance, put it this way, of coming together as at least an offensive unit faster than Toronto will, given the amount of time Paul Lapley has spent in the league and working with Matt Nichols, as opposed to Ryan Dinwiddie working with uh, Nick Arbuckle or or McLeod Bethel-Thompson either way. Uh, um they don't have they haven't worked together much. So La Police and Nichols are gonna start on a different level as far as knowing each other and knowing the strengths, weaknesses, what have you, and they'll learn together what they can do with this offense. But they at least have some common ground to work from, whereas Toronto's starting from complete scratch. And it might take Toronto three, four more weeks to get to the level of having cons- something consistent going on offense, and that's enough time for Ottawa to win one or two games more than Toronto does. Yeah, that's... Uh, wow, you're really zigging where I'm zagging. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> I uh, I guess I had more... I guess I had the league more top-heavy. But I'm getting a vibe from you where maybe the best team will win 10 games in your estimation? Mm, 11 or 12. Maybe 11. And I think it's Hamilton benefiting from their schedule more so and benefiting from their cohesion and their schedule. Okay. Yeah. I want to talk about schedule real quick before we talk to the Alouettes, because in a lot of ways, the Alouettes have uh, both the league's most disadvantageous and advantageous schedule. But one of the things that we haven't talked about, and and I think that this is going to have a real hard reality check on the likes of Toronto and Ottawa, is that these teams are all starting with three games on the road in the West. Uh, like you said, Hamilton may be the class of the league, but these other Eastern teams are going to get a workout here in the West. Um, going to and and this this will have an effect I think on those teams now now to me that kind of signals a real rough start for again Toronto and Ottawa now uh, Montreal has to play Hamilton in week five I believe it's either week four or week five but that's Montreal's first home game I believe it's week five and uh, but. But that's, you know, the first time that there's going to be a real tough interdivisional game here in the East. So how much of an effect do you think that this unprecedented schedule is going to have, especially on these unknown quantities? Well, it's going to it's going to make the traditional East-West balance like stick out a lot sooner than it usually does. 
but I'm also not going to sit here and complain about the schedule either. I'm just happy we have one. I'm just going to use the golfers, the golfers terminology and just play it as it lies this year. And then we'll complain about it next year. (laughs) Well, there's, there's no reason to complain about the schedule. It's more a question of meeting the challenge. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be tougher for the Eastern teams to rise up and meet that challenge. uh, Just simply because, they're going to be starting on the road with God knows what kind of protocols they have to deal with when they're going on the road right now and do that three weeks in a row. That'd be a tough sell. Even, even if even mid season when you've had weeks and weeks and weeks of work already behind you, that's going to be rough. Yeah. But at least it's against the West. The, The only thing that that, the only thing that that's really going to mess with is the, is that third place. Is that six seed in the playoffs again? It's going to mess with that. Well, and it's going to it's going to give the Western teams a lead. It doesn't guarantee to keep yeah. it, but I mean, well, the fourteen games, Joe. Yep. Fourteen games is a big deal. I mean, this. I mean, basically, I mean, you can look at it this way. Basically, the season's already a month over when it starts. Yeah, and that's huge. That's that's a big deal for especially if you have to then play three Western teams. Right, for example. and that there's going to be even more pressure to be have it all together when you start. And that's just not going to happen for most of these teams. Right. Now let's talk about Montreal where hopefully things won't be bad, but if things are bad, they're going to be really bad before they get better. Uh, Thanks to the odd schedule. I guess the highlight of the Montreal season will be that seven of their last nine games are at home. So that's going to be there. And, most of those teams are get most of those games are against the East. They also have a Winnipeg game in there, but uh, most so again that's going to be a very big push. If Montreal is still good after Week Six, then they're thinking about the playoffs pretty early. They just have to do some beating up on Eastern teams at home in Montreal. Um, hopefully, it will be cold enough by then. Let's see. Uh, Montreal, the continuity, I'd give them about a B-plus grade on. Um, they're pretty similar to a pretty good 2019 team. Uh, they did lose a couple of offensive players to the Argos, which I mentioned. So did everybody uh, else. They, What's your point? Right. <laughs> they did They did also lose Hanoi Mwambo, which, which kind of hurts, but that was a situation where he wasn't signing for a long time and then a longer time and a longer time with Montreal, almost like he didn't feel welcome with Kari Jones system, which is quite possible. So more power to him. Uh, I'm not sure that I'm comfortable with Matt Schultz as the backup to Vernon Adams, but at least Montreal fans are comfortable with Adams, mm-hmm. which is more than we could say for every quarterback since Anthony Calvillo. So we're happy about that. Um, the wide receiver core is quite splendiferous. It's quite vast, let's say. Uh, incredibly, Quan Bray may be back. Now, this guy got busted along with former Rams player Greg Robinson and a third alleged perpetrator with 150 plus pounds of marijuana near the Texas Mexico border, which is not a very clever maneuver. However, uh, Bray pleaded guilty to a lesser charge, got off, re-signed with the Alouettes, but just two days ago, July 6th, 
the Alouettes announced that he, along with a bunch of other players, had been suspended. So I don't know what that means. I haven't read anything. So so who the, knows, so, the, so just to give you a primer here, the suspended okay, list in the CFL uh, during the offseason, there are literally two lists of players can a player can be on. They can either be on the active roster or suspended. And you right, have to start training camp with a certain number. Uh, they have to get down to a certain number for training camp. So you're either on that active roster or you're suspended. Now, that could simply mean – that could mean a lot of things. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a discipline issue. It just means there's an issue of the player not being able to report on day one of training camp. So you have them on the suspended list to open up that roster spot for somebody else. So – what, whatever Bray's issues are, whether it's a, a potentially an immigration issue, given that, you, as you said, he pleaded guilty to a crime, may be causing immigration issues. Or he be just may not, may not have been able to start his quarantine in time because I believe they do seven days at home and then seven days when they get there. He might – it might be a situation like that. I'm not, I'm not sure and I can't really shed any light on that myself. But simply put, the Alouettes know that he cannot be – a go on day one of training camp, therefore he's on the suspended list. End of story. And that's with a vast, a lot of players around the league. Anybody reporting late will be on that list. Yeah, in all seriousness, I thought it was something mundane like that. I I just would like Bray back out there because he showed flashes of, of real excellent play uh, the last time we saw him in 2019. So I would just like it back. And I should also say that we also picked up one of my all-time favorites, Neymar Roosevelt. Yay, welcome to Montreal. Bienvenue. Nice to have you aboard. Maybe I'll finally break down and get an Alouette's jersey. Now that I actually like their, their jersey a bit more and their logo a bit more. Okay, so beyond, again, kind of like Toronto, so beyond all the other intangible stuff that's going to wreak havoc with all of us who have to play CFL Pick'em this season, Alouette's fans have really left the lead on their coach, Kari Jones. Uh, which is kind of bizarre because actually the Alouettes only went 10 and 8 in 2019 and lost to a, not a very good Eskimos team in the playoffs. So it's kind of bizarre that we're leaning on a guy that's 10 and 9, but that's what the Alouettes are looking at, right, Joe? I mean, we should have a winning record, but we're probably not going to blow anybody's minds, right? Yeah, this is the hardest team in the East for me by far to pinpoint. Because uh, going back to the little blueprint I've got drawn up right now, uh, I do believe <laughs> in their coaching. I do believe in their talent acquisition abilities, even though uh, they're no longer paying players in cash in envelopes. They're still they were still able to assemble a decent team last year. Um, so you got that. You've got the quarterback, although, I, again, we're a little shaky on the depth. And Adams is the yeah. type of X factor that could be that could change a game all by himself. So he could take a potential loss and turn it into a win, or vice versa, based on his play. And last last season, 2019, of course, I feel like he did more of the taking taking making wins out of losses and vice versa. Uh, and then I guess it's just the question of. Can Jones, as a first-year head coach, took what wasn't a good situation and made it a good one? Can he repeat? And I think he can, but I think 
but the biggest problem with the Alouettes is if they lose Adams, they go from being an eight and seven and seven, eight and six team sitting pretty hosting the Eastern semi to fighting it out with Ottawa for number two for the team that's going to host the East semi, East semi with five wins instead. Okay. Harsh, but probably what I need to hear. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm back and forth on my Alouettes this year. I'm optimistic, but I'm not. But I am, I, I'm optimistic I'm as long as Adams holds out. If he, if he goes down, then uh, good luck. Well, or I'm sorry. If we can win, chance. if we can win all seven of those late season home games, let's say, and then one game against the West, and then one away game against the East, that's nine and five. <laughs> but we'd have to go. That means we would go seven and zero. If you had to pinpoint me on a record, I'd say eight and six. But that could be five, that could be easily five and nine, or that could be. 10-11 if Adams gets really hot. Well, again, I think that we are, it's not going to have much effect on the East rankings, but I think that there's going to be some casualties in the West. I think there are some teams in the West that we think are going to be much better than they are. I think most people honestly believe that all five Western teams are going to be contenders this year, and I just don't think it's so. I'm not so sure about BC. They don't pass my tests right now. And we've already seen the injury bug hit Saskatchewan really hard today. Yeah, that's you're, you're thinking exactly along the lines that I am, but that's a spoiler for next week. But just a few more questions for you. All right, do you have any bold prediction? Bold prediction? For the East. I think picking Ottawa to not finish last is about as bold as I'm going to get in the East. Because I think everybody and their mothers have Ottawa winning between zero and two games this year. I think it's more like four or five. Well, I think they're looking at the talent just the raw talent of Toronto. Exactly. And we've Jeez. seen this play out over and over and over again. Uh, Saskatchewan under Chris Jones yeah. right away, where they went and bought everybody. What did that buy them? Five wins. BC in 2019, where they made a whole bunch of wholesale changes, new coaching staff, yeah. and all sorts of things. And everybody thought, and I'm guilty too, I believe I picked them to be third place, if I remember correctly, like 11 wins or something. That bought them five wins. Winning free agency seems to buy you five wins. <laughs> so, well, it's that building a super team in football is really difficult. I mean, Washington has tried it X number of times in the NFL. Works really well at basketball. I, I but... think the NBA Finals would disagree with you on that as well. <laughs> well, yeah, but this has been a this has been a weird year. But let's not go down that. Road. Yes, please, because I just tapped. The, I just have the most amount of basketball knowledge I've had in like a decade, so I got nothing more for you. <laughs> I bet. I mean, here you are. Your guys are finally in the finals, man. Well, your guys, I say. Your 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 local team is already in the finals. Okay, I've got one for you. I'm going to attempt fate here, okay? And I'm going to say that Vernon Adams is going to lead the East in total yards, okay? Passing in Russia, right? I crunched the numbers on this. Here's what we got. In Mazzoli's last full season, okay, he went for 56-82 total yards. He had a killer 2018. Great year that year. So in 14 games, that works out to 4,419. 
Okay, now uh, Adams in 2019 went for 43, 46 yards in 16 games, which works out to 38.03 in 14 games. So Vernon would need to close just a 44 yard per game gap. And I think with the receiving core there, I think I think this is I mean, last year was really Vernon's breakout year, but I think this is Vernon's going to make another step this year. And uh, he could he could rack up a lot of stats Uh, if it's true that offenses are ahead of defenses when the season starts. That means that he could run up some nice numbers. He very well uh, may be. The reason Montreal gets off to a hot start if he's dealing with defenses mm-hmm. that haven't gotten their stuff together. He, um, mm-hmm. beyond any other quarterback in this league, I think can beat a defense single-handedly. Yes, yes, yes. I think I think last uh, season he really broke out as a double threat as well, which I really liked. Okay, Hamilton in the Great Cup? Representative East. I can I can see it. They're they're the smart money, uh, and they've got the they've got 2019 behind them to show that they can do it. They can get there. And I think they have the ingredients in place to do it again. Okay, now five wins is fairly respectable for third place in the East standards. The 14 game season is that going to be enough to get a playoff spot? No. No, I think I think six and eight is the bare minimum for a playoff spot this year. Even, even though you're not buying into Saskatchewan and BC, well, I, I'm not necessarily discounting Saskatchewan, even though they had the four players go down with Achilles injuries today, which is just not the way you ever want to start a season. I, I'm just not. I'm also not going to buy. I, I'm really not buying BC for sure, but I do think four teams in the West could could easily get to six. So I think that you're going to have to get to six in the East to have to take the third playoff spot. And I don't think either Ottawa or Toronto get there. I'm intrigued. This is going to be an interesting season. <laughs> and it's going to feel like it's gone by so fast. Oh, yeah. Remember, because even the 18-game seasons, we look at each other like week 12 or week 13 go, what happened? <laughs> What happened? I've just gone eight and sixty on my pick'em this year. That's what happened. Can't wait to start that. That's gonna. That's gonna be. This is gonna. This is gonna be fun. I, I'm just gonna flip a coin. In any case, let's get out of here for this week. Next week, Joe West. Yep, let's do the West. And I do have one more thing before we go. What is this? We started at the very end of 2015. Covered the last couple of weeks in the playoffs. So what is this? Going to be our fifth full season. I guess. Yeah. yeah, and we do have we do have a decently loyal listener base, from what I could tell. Uh, over a hundred people seem to download every single episode, so somebody out there is listening. So, I just wanted to ask, hey, if you guys are on Twitter or even by email, send us a message and just tell us where you're listening from and who you are, and love to hear from some of our fans around uh, not only Canada and the U.S., but, hey, around the world, too, if you're out there. Just let us know. Uh, just I, It's mostly curiosity on my part, but I'm definitely glad you're here, and I'm glad you keep listening. So I just want to hear from uh, the people that are listening, and I just want to kind of say have you guys say hi. So you can either do that at our, our either tag at RWB Podcast on Twitter, um, or my my handle is USFL Techmo. 
And you can also, if you have neither, if you don't do the Twitter machine, it's usfltecmo at hotmail.com. Just let us know you're out there. Mostly curiosity on my part, but say hi. Yeah, we like Twitter. Twitter is our medium. Come to come to Twitter. RWB Podcast, USFL Tecmo. That's T E C M O for all for all you young folks who don't know what Tecmo is. Although I can't imagine anybody who likes football doesn't know what Tecmo Bowl is. Or me, Oz Davis. That's O S Davis forty two on Twitter. Uh, but follow the podcast. We'll be back next week with the Bruce Right and Blue. For myself, Oz Davis, and Joe Pritchard, this has been the Rouge White and Blue CFL Podcast. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter. <laughs>